0: Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi Studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show.
1: Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellato, and today we have a great show lined up for you. But before I bring on my guest, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell magazine, in which we featured the lithium king, Teague Egan, who is the president and founder of Energy X. That this company is doing amazing things with one of the rarest minerals that we need lithium so to learn all about EnergyX and what they're doing please visit shellmag.com that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com and you know what there's a lot of other stories in the latest issue of shell magazine that talks about energy geopolitical talks about energy business and so much more so to read all about teague as well as other stories that are featured in Shell Magazine, please go to shellmag.com. Again, that's shalema com. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest, Daniel Turner, who is the founder and executive director for Power the Future. Daniel, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Oh,
2: it's great to be on with you again. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, you know, what you do in Washington, D.C. is pretty important. Um, you are a voice for the oil and gas industry. A voice, in in my opinion, in a way of helping elected officials really understand um, the really difficult uh, and somewhat complicated when we talk about oil and gas and how they, uh, you know, are going to be affected in this huge energy transition that we see uh, that's occurring currently. Um, But I want to give our listeners an opportunity for our listeners who don't know who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, being the executive director for Power for, for the Future. What is your core mission?
2: Yeah, so I started this organization a few years ago because of my frustration with Washington, with decision makers who make all of our energy policy, but they're totally disconnected from the millions of men and women across the country who work in these jobs. And I felt like those men and women needed a voice. Uh, you know, While we were talking about these very important midterm elections, 40,000 world leaders were gathered at the latest climate summit. Uh, of course, they all had to fly to Egypt for it, right? No one can do a Zoom like you and I are doing right now. They all have to use fossil fuels mm-hmm. to fly to it's Egypt. All, and <laughs> and, and they're, right. they're having all they're this- They're all
1: discussion. heading in their private jet
2: yeah right. over four hundred okay. private jets landed at the uh, Shah al- Sheikh Airport, as documented. Um, but they're all making these these energy transition decisions, John Kerry representing the United States. Um, but who's asking the men and women whose jobs are on the line, right? Who's asking the 11,000 guys from Keystone, XL, right? I mean, they were the first victims of the energy transition the day after Biden was inaugurated. So I started Power of the Future years ago because of that disconnect and because I felt like those men and women in rural communities, and I live in a rural community and I love rural America, um, they don't have enough of a voice. And so that's what the organization's here to do.
1: Well, you know, obviously you and I are on the same playing field, if you will. We're not here. I mean, I know our show is not here to tell uh, any listener what they should think or not think is climate change real or not real. It's more of just disseminating the information and letting the general public understand uh, a little bit more about the topic before they make a decision. Uh, One of my favorite quotes comes from uh, uh, an organization here in Texas, Texas Public Policy Foundation, and Jason Isaac is the leader of that group. And he basically says, you know, the core needs to be that we increase the uh, energy IQ of people That are, uh, first of all, pushing policies, but also the fact that the American people need to understand when they go to the polls and they vote for their favorite candidate, does that candidate really understand energy and energy needs And, and more importantly, also lead us into energy poverty, which poverty as a whole is the one that usually takes the burden of poor energy policies. And so your goal, my goal, is to talk about energy, how it's affecting each and every one of us, is it good or bad, and then taking the whole global discussion. And so, Daniel, I think the mission of your uh, foundation, along with our show, is to really help educate the the masses, if you will, the average Joe, the average person, as to how important energy is to them, um, and also how it, it really trickles down to every American Um, Rather, we're making global decisions on energy or rather we're making local decisions with our elected officials that affect us here in the United States. The important thing is that they have a better understanding um, of how this affects them, whether it's their utility bills or grocery bills or even the climate. And there is a very important thing happening right now uh, globally, which, of course, we're all familiar with um, COP27. I want to get into that a little bit, but I want to first try to break down with you right now. Um, so your group uh, is geared at the same kind of thing we are, which is trying to educate the masses, but at the same time, you guys put out, uh, you, give me the core structure of what you guys really focus in on um, as your group. I mean, we obviously know that it, what you're doing is important, but your vision of how you go about impacting and educating, how what is the focus of of your organization? How do you get
2: that accomplished? I started the organization for um, the, the millions of men and women who work in the fossil fuel industry because they don't have strong voices. Quite frankly, sometimes they don't even have uh, advocates from their own elected members of Congress who would much rather represent Silicon Valley or Hollywood or something cool and fashionable. And um, you see, and even in this last races, some of the men and women who are running for statewide office from huge energy states Um, with just disparaging comments about about men and women who work in oil, gas, coal, fracking, pipelines, uh, uh, welding, I mean, machines, uh, servicing. There's so many jobs related to the fossil fuel industry. And the disconnect between the men and women who make policy and the men and women who are impacted by that policy is very, very vast. So what Power of the Future tries to do is bridge that gap. You know, we'll talk about COP27. We can talk any time about wind and solar and EVs and renewables. But I'll tell anyone this, there is no future if to power. There is no future if we don't have a robust fossil fuel economy right now. This, this green tomorrow isn't here yet.
1: So. That's correct. So so that being said, you know, I want to kind of just break down the importance. You know, we're very blessed here in the United States to have an abundance of reliable energy and some that are coming online that are still considered to be unreliable, which is your solar and your wind, not because they're really unreliable, but when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't a blowing, we have a problem with it's called intermittent and it goes in and out. Whereas, you know, you look at oil and gas, the natural gas is always going to be, we have an abundance of it. It's cheap and it burns clean. So it's a great bridge fuel for us to look at, but you have a lot of hysteria coming out from all of these global leaders that we're going to get into, as well as even our elected officials here in DC, you know, scaring people about, we've got to change course now. We've got to change course within two years. And a lot of this is, you know, there's a, um, a book i love and a, a great author to it is alex epstein um the author of the moral case for fossil fuel and people should read that book because it really is talking about how we just really cannot get off of uh, oil and gas right now and even if we think the climate is in peril here we're you know we're heading straight to hell you know we need to stop now. Well, how are we going to do this uh, and not wind up killing ourselves in the process? So it's do you, we want to do a slow death or do we want to die right now? And I know that seems, you know, really crazy to think, but this is the rhetoric that is going on for the American people and the globe to be thinking about. So I want to get your thought on how bad is the talk right now as far as can we, can we, Make makes some sense that we have to make a bridge between we're going to transition, but we don't know what the transition is, but we need all forms of energy, not just a few selected ones. What is your philosophy and thoughts on this and your group of how do we get the message back on track? Stop scaring yeah,
2: people. I think understanding what oil and gas and fossil fuels do is, is paramount. Um, the Greens have sold this great lie that, uh, that the only thing fossil fuels do is make electricity. And so that's why you have the Biden administration that says, well, we're going to get rid of it. We'll just put up wind and solar. And, but but that's not all that oil and gas do. You look at the millions of products. We couldn't even begin to list the products that come from oil and gas. And I would add coal to that list that wind and solar can never produce um, because they're just not capable of, of, of doing it. And so you look at fertilizer and fertilizer prices, which have contributed to high food prices. Well, saying, well, we're just going to have wind and solar doesn't explain how we get fertilizer uh, to our crops and to our crop yields um and so the point you just raised is are we going to have a slow walk to our death who dies then right if we don't produce enough food for the world who dies uh, and that's kind of what COP27 is saying right now um, when they're telling sub-Saharan African countries that you shouldn't get online with wind and uh, with, with excuse me with fossil fuels you should have wind and solar you're basically saying your people should live in poverty um, and so and I'll I'll be very honest with you and your 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 audience. I don't pretend that we have a green future because I know it's not possible. I know the math is not possible. The science is impossible. And I have to argue with people in in Congress and think tanks and people who say, "Well, yeah, but you know, by the year no, it's just not true. By the year twenty thirty five, not true. By the year twenty thirty, we'll all have electric vehicles. Not true. It can happen. Scientifically, it can't happen. And and I get a little frustrated of having to talk to people to pretend. That, well, yeah, it's going to happen. It's just going to be harder than you think. When well, I know and they know it's never going to happen. We don't have the numbers. We don't have the technology. There are things like the bets limits and physics when it comes to wind turbines. There are rare earth and metal and mineral uh, scarcity for these products. So yeah. we just play this silly game with members of Congress. And, and I'm glad you raised the hysteria. All of this under the guise of, we're all going to die. The, the UN put out a report at COP 27. It was delivered yesterday, and the title of it seriously was "We have nine years to address nine years." And I thought nine years. I've been hearing nine years since the mid 80s, but we still I have. I think nine that years. was the
1: inconvenient truth that uh, Al Gore put out, <laughs> where everything was already supposed to be, um, and by this point we were too far gone to return. And and you are right. You know, this is it's kind of. Um, I think the thing I feel most sorry for are the indigent the poor yeah. and the young, the the, the college kids. That so just the the, the indigent, you know, they're going to carry the cost because it just increases. And if you have money, it doesn't affect you as bad. But if you're poor or poor countries, like you said, you're the one, this is the burden that falls on their back. Yeah. And it is sad when you, you know, the reason why I mentioned the book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels that I recommend everybody read is because Alex does talk about how, how it is a moral topic to say that other countries who are less, Who have less resources? They don't deserve to live as long. Uh, Their life expectancy is much shorter than than the United States, and their children don't live as long either. They're not entitled to immunization or fresh water. I mean, this is a moral situation we're talking about. As far as who do we get to? And these are elected officials. And then the flip side of it is, and we're going to get back on uh, the election, and of course, what's happening at COPs 27. But who are these people making these decisions on behalf of these uh, third world countries, if you will? Yeah. And what gives them the right to tell them that just because you're poor, your children don't get to live as long in order to you. And that we're going to tell you that you can only use solar and wind, yet we know that, you know, good old fossil fuels are what powers clean water and, and incubators for their babies and, and uh, you know, of course, vaccines and stuff. So there's a yeah. big problem here that nobody's talking about. When we get back from break, I want to talk about the elections because we just had one. Post election coverage on you. What do you think is going to happen to the energy industry? And then, of course, we're going to get into COPS 27 as well. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to a new Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Daniel Turner, the founder, as well as the executive director for Power the Future. Daniel, before the break, I got a little windy on my thoughts of, you know, we don't really have the right. I don't think any elected official, I don't care what country they come from, gets to tell other countries just because they're poor that they don't have the right to have access to clean energy and whatever that may be. And we know that if you don't have access to that, then your life expectancy of your country and its people in it and its uh, infants and immunization are all affected in a very negative way. That being said, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, We just came out of a uh, election cycle midterms here in the United States. And of course, uh, we see that the uh, Senate was flipped to the Republican Party and the Democrat was flipped. I mean, and the House was split to the Democrat Party, and we have uh, President Biden, who typically tends to uh, religiously say he does have, uh, he's he is creating war on oil and gas, and the companies uh, that um, focus on oil and gas as a line of business. My question is, so what are the greatest strengths that we got in the Senate with having uh now Republicans in charge of that. How do you see it affecting oil and gas? Because we know that for two years we've been on a nonstop assault out of the Biden administration.
2: Uh, is is having, there any
1: movement there?
2: Yeah, fl- I mean, flipping the House. You mean now that the Republicans control the House?
1: Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just yeah. Um, well, the good news is that all spending bills have to start constitutionally in the House, and so. Um, assuming that the, the majority stands and, and the Republicans do control the chamber, you're not going to get these crazy legislative, uh, pieces that, like the last Inflation Reduction Act that allocated almost 400, uh, a million, billion dollars for climate, uh, initiatives, right? And that, that enormous piece of legislation, which was called Inflation Reduction Act. As soon as it was passed, they kept talking about it as the greatest climate legislation in history funny they didn't call it that right so those types of games you won't see anymore because the house uh won't be playing along with with the with the green agenda um so that's at least a good start um hopefully they can roll back also some of the spending um that was allocated right and just because the previous congress spent it doesn't mean the next congress um or sorry just because the previous congress allocated it doesn't mean the current congress has to necessarily spend it there are lots of little games that they can play to slow roll uh some of the spending one small example of that is the, uh, there's an enormous pot of money i think it was 40 million dollars that's going to the EPA for i have to get the name right it was for climate gender equity nonprofit It was basically saying like in, in the, in the, uh, fossil, in the war on fossil fuels, there are not enough women or minorities who run these groups. I'm neither, right? So I'm the example. So we need to have a fund to fund women and minorities to start nonprofits to attack the oil and gas industry. We paid for it. Congratulations. Right. So, so we've allocated $40 million for that. Maybe the Congress, maybe the House can can pull back that funding. So there's a little bit of a bright side there, but that's not as bright as the thing should be. I, yeah, it's a start.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so are there, so now that we see a reversal and a flip, how, how do you see us being able to, uh, the, the, do things get better for the oil and gas industry as a whole? I mean, I know you can slow it down, but With Biden still in office and Biden still promising, just as of um, what the other day, he pretty much um, said no more drilling. Like uh, he promises no more drilling. That was November 7th. And I'd like for him to go a little further and just say, well, what are we going to do if we're not going to drill before you get into that? and, And then from there. But how how and how committed do you see the Republican Party as well? with are they um, really going to start stepping it up um, and how are they going to help the energy industry because nothing's going to change unless they unless something changes we have higher prices at the pump yeah. and it's going to continue until something changes so what do you see changing in DC well uh, hopefully
2: also with, with the house under Republican control um, the power of those committees is is pretty vast, we saw the January sixth committee right um so it it's possible and it's hopeful i 'm hopeful that the committee chairs can have some of these uh hearings which don 't do much in terms of legislation, but they do send market signals about uh, uh, uh who's willing to engage in shenanigans because if you do you'll get brought before Congress so i'd like to see John Kerry and Gina McCarthy right there are climate envoys. No one knows what their charter is. No one knows what their staff sizes are, who works for them, right? They don't have to to display that information. They don't have to share with the American people. Well, now they do if they're held in subpoena by the Congress, I'd love to see some of the green groups, you know, uh, subpoenaed before Congress to say you ran $50 million in ads um, to shut down oil and gas. Where did you get the money from, right? As members of Congress, do we have a right to know those things? Because boy oh boy, if you did anything that the previous Congress didn't like, Jerry Nadler or or uh Benny Thomas or any of the committee chairs would make your life miserable. And that's the power they have. So but that's that that's not gonna change the oil and gas industry, though. That's the sad thing. You know, we didn't flip the Senate, and I can talk more about that in a second. And the major oil and gas decisions are made by the executive office, and that's Still, the Biden administration for two
1: more years. Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up a good point, which is what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I yeah. just to say before we leave for break, you know, they are strongly going after API, saying that they uh, disseminated a lot of information on campaigns that were distorting uh, the importance and and that climate change is real, and so they went after uh, you know API which is the main association for the oil and gas industry. But you're right. Well, let's look and see how much money did you guys spend in climate change and how much of that was really science-based. Because there's two different scientists in a room, and one is going to say that it's not the way it is, and the other one's going to say the total opposite. One is going to say the house is on fire, run out. The other one's going to say, hold on a second. It's not that bad. So. There's always two sides being told in the energy saga, if you will, and they seem to be able to go after the oil and gas industry of bringing them down to have them come in and testify and, uh, you know, kind of smack them around, if you will, making them feel terrible for what they do. But yet everything we use is a commodity that we need from oil and gas, and there doesn't seem to be any accountability on any other group and any other association that put out Stories on climate change and other things that are just equally as scary and bad. So, when we come back from break, I'm going to allow you to answer that. We're well, going to take a quick break. You're listening to an Oral Pet Radio show. We'll be right back. we're back you're listening to in the oil radio show my guest today is daniel turner the founder and executive producer for power the future daniel before the break again i went on one of my little rants if you will how come it is okay for certain groups to spend you said 50 million on um climate change debate climate change um, scaring everybody we've got nine years but it's not okay for the oil and gas industry to try to disseminate their message on maybe something like natural gas, which is a clean burning transition fuel, if you will. Um, Why are there two different standards? What is your group doing to kind of overcome that? And how do you see coming back from now a new midterm? And when members of Congress Congress arrive, um, what is going to be your focus of trying to get like, what is the focus for you guys? You're going to focus on trying to get the you know, the freshmen, uh, what you know, trained up, if you will, and informed on energy. Are there specific legislators that you're looking at? Are there policies that you'd like to engage in? What is y'all's role as we come back from after the midterm?
2: Yeah, well, first part when it comes to to speech, the best way we can engage in this fight is not not censor yourself, right? We don't, I never, my organization, I started my organization exactly for that reason. I didn't want to be censored. I don't play any of the, of the necessary rhetorical games to stay in people's good graces. So um, you're right. Why can one side put out their beliefs about we're all going to die in nine years? But if you say you can't live without fossil fuels, um, you get all these labels attached to you, but that's the way it is with everything right Oh, i mean that's what that's kind of and this is the different tangent i won't go down but just mention briefly every debate right now we're having as a nation one side of it is trying to demonize the speech of the other whether it's the trans movement whether it's uh the the covid and the vaccine issue uh if you don't the, the war in ukraine if you propose another question well then you're a shell of, a shell of vladimir putin right i mean so this idea that we get to demonize people who don't agree with us um is a growing trend and it's a really scary Uh, uh, thing in America. Um, The climate movement has been doing this my entire life. They've always wanted to label people climate deniers and try to ostracize you. So the best thing you can do in the speech world is don't be afraid um, and don't give them power over you. That's what we do. What are we doing with the freshmen incoming? educate as many of them as possible. Um, We're in contact with with all of them on a regular basis. Um, We try to work with their offices so that they know all the necessary facts about the oil and gas industry so that they have the right uh, information to make informed decisions. Um, We also put out a white paper um, for members of Congress of what their committees can actually do to try to give them almost a playbook. Hey, these are some things that if we were running the Congress that we could potentially do that would help the oil and gas industry. Again, there's only so much we can do with just one house, but at least you can stop the bleeding a little bit. And that's, that's a step in the right direction. I, I hope though, that there's an appetite to do more. I hope there's aggression. I hope the the, the newly elected members of Congress feel the frustration the American people feel because regardless of whether you're not, you believe it was good or it was bad or red wave or Fetterman one, you still look at what you're paying for gas and for bread. And you're still questioning how is this possible right now in America? And those issues are not going away anytime soon.
1: So let's switch gears in the last part of our show and talk about what's happening right now with, uh, COPS 27. So we we started the show talking about how there are all these elected officials from all over the world and everybody has bought into the green movement and everybody needs 40,000
2: of them 40,000 people are at that conference right now
1: 40,000 that tells us that that 40,000 people are making the the decision for the entire globe that's what we should pay attention to uh, when we talk about energy. Um, so, you know, uh, and how disingenuous is, is this when the majority of them, I would assume kind of were flown in on their private jets, which of course we know what fuels a jet, uh, and a plane is good old, uh, you know, fossil fuels. Yeah. And this happens all the time when they go to these events, doesn't matter if it's a Paris climate accord, whatever it is, they always fly in on the private jets. And because I think, uh, it, 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 what, the legislation they want to pass globally affects all of us, but it doesn't affect them. Mm-hmm. And they set—they are by a different set of rules. Well, on Friday, the Republicans were there at uh, COP27, which is you know all these people getting together to talk about what we're going to do in the future on climate change and fossil fuels. And they really did talk about the benefit of fossil fuels. And it kind of looks like the Republicans are standing up and saying transition great, but not on the backs of oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, it's an important topic, but how do you see, there's a couple of of elected officials. Um, One of them was uh, Rep Graves out of Louisiana is, you know, pretty much talking the truth to suggest fossil fuels can be a form of clean energy and only a carbon. And if only the carbon released by extracting and burning them could be captured and stored safely. So, Daniel, when we come back from break, I want to talk about um, the Republicans part. Are they doing enough at the COPS 27 uh, meeting that's happening on Friday? They made some announcements supporting the fossil fuel industry. I want to get your opinion, your group's opinion on, um, you know, are we doing enough? Uh, and who are the good guys and the bad guys, of course, at this uh, meeting, COPS 27? we got to take a quick break. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. back. You're listening to In The Little Patch Radio Show. My guest is Daniel Turner, who is the founder and executive director for Power the Future. Daniel, we have currently right now COP27, COPS27, which is the United Nations Climate Change Conference going on. We we seem to have a lot of um, Paris Climate Accord. Um, There's a lot of different conferences that go on throughout the year, year after year, in which all of the elite, all of the leaders from all the countries come together and are going to push policy that we're all going to follow. And this is another conference like that. Um, my question to you is, um, you know, we've been talking about uh, how many people are there, what they're flying in on. I feel like we should be probably talking about, you know, who's wearing what shoes and clothes and designers, but we'll skip that. That's probably another show. But how successful do you think this is the final week? Um, how successful do you think the conference is going and what do you see we're going to come that what's going to come out of this? Um, and do you see major changes in other countries, philosophy and policies? And, and why I bring that up is because we've been seeing Europe unfold and not in a good way with winter time, that they have doubled down and tripled down on solar and wind and have really walked back a lot of you know oil and gas they put a lot of um, emphasis on Russia's pipeline which kind of blew up on them with Mm -hmm. the Ukraine invasion so you tell me is it wise we saw what happened in Europe looks like the United States is going on the same path our president is just giving all kinds of money to uh, countries to help them get off of oil and gas What's happening here and what countries are we seeing really going to make a change? And how is that going to change uh, here on a global stage, if you will?
2: Well, I think the people who go to COP are are totally disconnected with their constituents. Uh, If you're a a, a German shop owner and your electric bill has gone up a thousand percent, in the last two years, and that's not a hyperbolic number, your electric bill has gone up a 1000% in the last two years, um, you have to question what decisions your German government has made on your behalf, in the in the global fight on climate change. Um, but yet the people from the German uh, 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 elected elected class that went, they will probably not change any course. They probably will double down on their belief. Right. So uh, because people do not
1: like to admit they were wrong. Is it because people that they, they don't want to know? It? I
2: think they just think it's necessary, right? There are necessary casualties in the war on climate change and, 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 uh, you know, just like there are necessary casualties in the, and in, in what's going on right now on inflation. And if you're indifferent about it, it's because you have that privilege, uh, you know uh, rich Americans don't care that bread has gone up thirty five percent they just pay it right they, they don't care that gas is more expensive. they just pay it. so who are the victims of the bad energy policies in America? like you mentioned it's the poor, it's the indigent it's the uh, it's the, it's the working class right? Who are the victims of the climate policy, not the elite who are in cop twenty seven They'll just continue to call for it um and then when you look at the third world or the developing world um you they're they getting free money, uh, and we've seen this with with, with humanitarian aid, quote-unquote, for the last 40 years. I'm sure there are many African warlords who are at COP27 pledging that they want to bring a, a green future to their people, and they'll just steal the billions of dollars like their predecessors did before them. Um, COP27, the, the playbook of COP27 was the same as last year's COP26. Uh, the the, the COP- Conference in Poland, which was the conference in Buenos Aires and the conference in Paris. Next year's conference is in Dubai. It's already scheduled. The dates are already confirmed. They're going to say the exact same things. The exact same people will gather. But you know where they're never going to have this conference? They're never going to have it in Juba in the Sudan, right? Or they're never going to have it in Raqqa in Syria because there's no four seasons, right? And the wine is crap, right? And there's no beautiful resort. But they go to these luxury five and six star resorts on our dime, and they give the same conference they've been giving for 27 years in a row. We have nine years left. We're all going to die. Climate change is killing us. Everyone claps, and then they all go home and they do it again next year. Why we take them seriously is 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 beyond me. It's just an absolute, we're going on 30 years of the same lives. When, when is it going to happen, right? When is the climate change really going to get us
1: <laughs> well, and 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 Daniel, on that, let me ask you because it seems as though we really have made some significant turns in the way of climate change and enforcing the green agenda. First, obviously, or the latest one was this Infrastructure Reduction Act, and all the green stuff that was in there is really going to come in and take an effect here. And I think that also, when you have associations that are being potentially sued or looked at by the government for. For pushing out propaganda mm. on climate change hoax, if you will, which didn't happen, um, I think that there's a level of uh, where I think the train has left the station. And now uh, it's not a matter, matter of bringing it back anymore. It's how are we going to manage what is truthful and what is deceptive. And how do we, uh, as I guess, uh, people figure out a lot of it, like you were saying, follow the money, if you will. And you didn't quite say that. You said, let's go to these great destinations and beautiful places mm-hmm. um, that somebody else is paying for. But I'm saying uh, follow the money as well. And you start seeing that a lot of money is coming from other countries into uh, organizations here that basically do fight oil and gas and mm-hmm. want the green energy uh, agenda. And yet we have really nothing in place that kind of signifies and shows, is there a conflict of interest here potentially with people who are giving money uh, to these groups and they're coming from Russia or other countries that it's in their best interest to keep it in the ground? Um, Is that, is there any, what is your thoughts in reference to that and how effective is that where we are right now with looking at COPS 27? You've got groups out there, you've got uh, different organizations meeting, and of course, you know, uh, Paris Climate Accord, all these different conferences that occur. Is anybody talking about follow the money and follow the path?
2: Well, one member of Congress is from the great state of Texas, and it's Congressman Lance Gooden. Um, And he has has, uh, proposed... Significant legislation that some of these groups have to disclose who their donors are because their agenda, even though they hide under the nonprofit banner, their agenda seems to greatly financially incentivize Russia, China, and other countries to America's uh, uh, um, Demise, And so all he's saying is, look, you're allowed to get money from Russia. It's not illegal. I could take money from Russia, but I have to disclose it that I am acting as a foreign agent. That's called FARA, F-A-R-A, the Foreign Agent Registry Act, right? You just have to disclose that you're acting on another country's behalf. Um, these These green groups don't do that. And so going back to your previous question, what will change with the House? Well, Congressman Lance Gooden was in the minority, but now he'll be in the majority and maybe even a committee chair. Wouldn't you love to see legislation like that get authored? Wouldn't you love to see Lance Gooden bring some of these green groups into his committee and say, where do you get your
1: money? Exactly. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Let's take a quick break, Daniel. Our last segment, I want to talk about the EPA tightening the methane rules and what that's going to look like for the energy industry. Uh, You're listening to on the Orpatch Radio Show. We'll be right back.
0: Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy.
1: we're back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show my guest today is daniel turner who is the founder and uh, executive director of power of the future daniel we've talked about um we, we talked about quite a few things um and i don't think we're anywhere out of the woods in pertaining to um the midterm elections of slowing or helping the oil and gas industry meaning don't expect any changes at the pump or at your grocery store anytime soon would, nope. would you, is that a fair statement? Because we yep, Republicans... Very much,
2: sadly, very much so, yeah.
1: So expect that this is the new norm as long as, um, until we get to maybe two years from now, we're looking at a uh, presidency. Um, but I want to talk about, so we've been talking about COPS 27. And um, as of uh, Friday, the Environmental Protection Agency, better known as the EPA, um announced right before President Biden was scheduled to go on that they are tightening in an effort to fight climate change. They are going to tighten or propose regulations that require energy companies to do more to, you know, look at leaks. And I just want to know how. Okay, so talk us through. So the listener knows since day one, uh, the Biden administration has put an executive order to stop the pipe uh Keystone pipeline. They have held or have stopped pretty much strangled uh, federal leases and a lot of different states that really required or, you know, needed this revenue and they can't drill anymore. They are slow walking permits. I think there's like over what 4,000 permits that are still in a hold position trying um, to get approvals. So we could start drilling, drill baby drill. And now we're going to tighten uh, the EPA uh, on methane as well. Um, How much uh, of the EPA's um, desire to change the regulations? What do you see it? How do you see that rolling out? And how how bad is this going to be on the energy industry that's already taken one hell of a beating?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's going to be very bad. Um, This is how the environmental left has always weaponized the EPA when they have Control of the White House, right? We saw it under the Obama administration, and we'll see it very much under the Biden administration. And it's no longer about protecting the environment; it's about punishing uh, those those industries which the the, the environmental left doesn't like, and that's the fossil fuel industry. So, yeah, they will use all of their power to stop uh, new production uh, uh, from coming online. Um, and they'll do it under the guise of, well, oh, we're just looking out for, for the, what's good for the country, et cetera. But, but this is why regulation and deregulation is so important. If you recall early on in the Trump administration, when he would stand next to stacks of papers to show you how much regulation he had cut. Um, regulation is a tool for the left to gum up the system. And if you create 9,000 new rules, someone will find a rule that will shut down what you're trying to do. Right, it's just how it's how how the system sadly works. Um, so proposing new rules uh, in in multi-thousand-page documents is just a way to slow roll the industry from coming online, and then trickle down, trickle down, trickle down. We'll get to worse prices because the consumers are the ones who are always going to suffer. Um, so so it's, it's it's this is why I'm I'm not super optimistic about the future, regardless of what happened in the midterms, because this is the power that the, the Biden administration still wields.
1: Still wields, right. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about OPEC, because OPEC was definitely caught in the crossfire of uh, President Biden and, of course, the midterms. I think he was you know, trying to convince them to just lay low, not do anything, and let us get through midterms to try to help the party get as many elected officials as possible in in office. Um, and, um, OPEC plus or OPEC just pretty much uh, ignored, uh, President Biden's plea, if you will. And, uh, went ahead and announced they were going to do what two billion barrels cut, cut, which did of course send, you know, this huge problem for President Biden publicly. Um, but I guess my question to you is now that we're past midterms and they're keeping up, you know, they, they are keeping, I can't really blame somebody's trying to stabilize prices because Lord knows, you know, the policies coming out of this administration are not not really strong policies for the energy sector. They're not promoting production. And you've got a decline of uh, uh, oil production. You've also got a decline of consumers wanting it. So it's having these effects. I want to I want you to tell me, where do you see OPEC? Where they made the cuts, was it right? Are you guys uh, in line with, um, are they? Are we gonna continue to see stabilization in the market or what do you see happening? Um, and of course, in, in the midst of all that, there was a lot of media reports that got coverage that the Biden administration and Saudi Arabia were starting to have a little bit of some problems. This is a 75 year old ally and, and a friend of the United States in some ways.
2: Was that harmed in any way? As well, yeah. Um, the Saudis aside, uh, OPEC. I mean, people need to always remember OPEC was started for the sole purpose of of ending American oil and gas dominance. Right? It was never created as a. It's it, it's not um, you know Hilton versus Marriott or hey we're both all in this together and we're we're all the same industry. Right? OPEC's charter is to is to bankrupt the American oil and gas industry. Um and it's not our friend, it's not our ally. Um countries individually are are different, but when it comes to the oil and gas industry, they have a very specific charter. They want to keep prices anywhere between ninety and a hundred dollars a barrel. Even though even OPEC realizes hundred and forty dollar a barrel oil is not sustainable and actually quite frankly harmful. So they don't want prices to be that high, but they don't want to see prices down to fifty-five, sixty, which is where they averaged during the previous administration here um, and it's funny if you go back and you look at 19 uh, sorry 2018 2019 um, if any of your listeners get a chance Google some of the, the the articles about the Saudis efforts to diversify their economy. You started seeing ads for Saudi tourism. Saudi uh, for the first time made it uh, a tourist visa unnecessary. They were trying to attract and say like, tourists. who would go to Saudi Arabia as a tourist? Saudi was talking about how they wanted to be the tech capital of the Middle East. And you'd scratch your head and say, what's the Saudis doing? The Saudis were petrified because we had brought oil to around $62 a barrel, and their economy was not sustainable. So they said, well, we need to get out of this. We need to diversify our economy. Notice how the Saudis aren't talking about diversifying their economy anymore. Why? Because they think America is crippling its own oil and gas industry. So OPEC is back in charge. OPEC doesn't want to not be in charge anymore. They were in charge until President Trump came in office, and now they're mm-hmm. in charge again, and they will do everything necessary to keep it that way.
1: Well, Daniel, uh, that we have come to the end of the show, but I do want to give our listeners an opportunity to understand if they like what they heard from you today and, of course, learn about your association and how to get involved. We need more advocates for oil and gas, and we need more people to understand more about oil and gas. Where would they go to look up your group, Power in the you. Future?
2: And we really do. We need more oil and gas educated folks, and so thank you for what you're doing. And they can go to powerofthefuture.com. com. They can email me, Daniel at powerthefuture. com. Ask me your questions. Tell me your thoughts. Um, I love hearing from the men and women who work in this industry because it really does power our economy and it powers our future so great to talk about it with you
1: thank you thank you Daniel. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us
2: all in oil, gas, business and in your community. Every week your host Kim Bilotto will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts,
1: elected officials and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.